I said, well, I got one question for you. He said, what? I said, well, it's, it's this little jogathon in April, you know, in Boston that I kind of shuffled to a few times. You know, if I have this surgery, it's six months from now. If I have this surgery, what do you think? He gave me the best possible answer. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey, hey, welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Kim Peek. I'm the host of this podcast and the author of the new book, Holistic Endurance Training, The Integrated Approach to Thriving as an Athlete. It is always my goal to bring you strategies and ideas that will help you find empowerment and achieve your goals through running, movement, and mindset strategies. And today, I feel so fortunate to be able to talk to a guest whose name will be familiar to those of you who follow running, and especially if you've run the Boston Marathon. I'm talking to Gabe McGilvery today, and here is a little bit about Dave. From his extraordinary 1978 run across the U.S. to benefit the Jimmy Fund and Dana-Farber Cancer Institute to serving as technical director, then race director of the Boston Marathon since the 1980s, Dave McGilvery has helped organize more than 900 mass participatory events since founding DMSE Sports in 1981, while raising millions for worthy causes close to his heart. I loved chatting with Dave. We talked about a ton of stuff from an event that he has coming up to the benefits of tying your race goals to a charitable contribution, trying to raise funds for something, and a little something that went on with his heart a few years ago. Take a listen. Welcome to the show, Dave. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thanks, Kim. Same same here. Thank you. Well, I feel like it is a true honor to get to talk to you. You are one of the famous names in running, and probably most people know you as the Boston Marathon Race Director. Yeah, I guess oh. everyone has sort of a, a, a key title and and. Either people say, oh, he's the Boston Marathon race director, or they'll say, oh, he's that runner guy. (laughs) (laughs) One or the other. Have you you always been a runner, or how did you get started running? Yeah, well, the story goes back to when I was a young boy growing up in my hometown of Medford, Mass. And for me, I always wanted to be athletic and be an athlete and play professional sports, but I was short in stature. So I always was, you know, the last one picked when my friends picked sides and I was always the last one cut when I went out for team sports. So, you know, at an early age, I learned a little bit about rejection and learned about, you know, sort of trying to overcome the odds. And then I started running because nobody can catch you for running. Right. (laughs) Right. And you run and being an individual sport sort of had its benefits. And so I just I just took took another path towards athleticism. And since then I've, you know, I've run a lot of miles, about 150,000 miles. I've run 157 marathons. I've run across the country a few times up the East coast. I've done a lot of triathlons, Ironman in Hawaii nine times. Um, I mean, the list goes on. So, you know, it just means I'm old <laughs> Been around for a while, but uh, that's how I got started running. And so speaking of your hometown, you, in the 70s, was it 1978? Yeah, exactly. Run across the country from your hometown in Medford 
to mm-hmm. Medford, Oregon. Can you tell us like how did you come up with that idea or why did you even think to do that in the first place? Yeah. Well, like I was saying, um, you know, wanting to be, you know, a, a you know, an, a strong athlete, you know, I once I started running, I started setting challenging goals for myself and the first one was when I was 12, I ran 12 miles on my 12th birthday and then 13, 13 and 14, 14. So I'm 65 now and I've run my age on my birthday every year for the last 53 years. And so, you know, I just got caught up into setting goals and not limits and, and just challenging myself, but also recognizing the fact that before you can recklessly go out there and just set some crazy goal, you know, you have to earn the right to do it and you have to methodically plan it out and you have to, you know, train and do your homework and like I said, earn the right to do it. And um, a friend of mine had biked across the country from my hometown of Method, Mass to Method, Oregon. And when I, I was in awe of that, but, you know, I wasn't a cyclist, I was a runner. And I thought, well, if he can bike across, I can run across. Well, that's kind of an idiotic comparison. You know, biking and running are a little different, but, you know, in my own little world, I was like, no, I, I, I can do this. And so I, I worked hard and I was um, working in the John Hancock Tower in Boston at the time. And I remember looking out the window and I saw Fenway Park where the Red Sox play and a sign out in right field. And it said, help make a dream come true, support the Jimmy Fund. I wasn't even sure what the Jimmy Fund was. I picked up the phone, called the Jimmy Fund and realized it was the fundraising arm of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And you know, treated primarily children with lymphoma and various types of cancer. And I said, you know, if I'm going to get through this, if I'm going to be able to run all the way across the continent, I need a greater purpose for doing this other than just my own personal goal, because I know it's going to get tough out there. And when it gets tough, I'm going to have to think about who am I doing this for? And so I decided to combine it with raising money for kids with cancer and and um, that's how the, the idea germinated. And so I flew out to the West Coast. I started ceremonially in the Kingdome in Seattle during the Red Sox-Seattle Mariners baseball game, and they telecasted back to Boston. What was interesting, Kim, about that moment is, you know, here I am on TV, and I'm in this big Kingdome, and 30,000 people are cheering for me, but I hadn't done anything yet, right? You know, I, I was about to, but I hadn't done it yet. Um, so that was an interesting feeling. And then, you know, the next day I woke up and flew down to Medford, Oregon. And that's when I started the trek. And I ran from Medford, Oregon to Medford, Mass, 3,452 miles in 80 days. I had planned it for 80 days. It took me 80 days, averaging, generally speaking, between 45 and 50 miles a day. And I finished on August 29th, 1978 um, in my hometown town of Medford, Mass, but on to seven miles further on to Boston and inside Fenway Park before a game in front of 32,000 people. And that's when I felt like, okay, I earned this now and raised, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for kids. And Runner's World even said at the time, a couple of years ago, when I was reading an article about fundraising and running, that, that was the first time anyone had combined running with philanthropy, in particular with raising money with cancer research. And since then, you know, you've seen what happened with team and training and Livestrong and just all these different charitable organizations that have grown as a result of their connection with the sport of running. So that's how it all gets started for me. 
That is so super cool. I I actually ran across that Runner's World article last night when I was trying to find out a little bit more information about what you had done. And Mm. I saw that they had linked you to be being one of the early people who started doing fundraising. Yes. Tips for people who want to tie their running to some sort of charity or something, a cause greater than themselves? Yeah, I think the first thing is the cause. Um, You know, for me, it's interesting because most people raise money for causes that are endemic to them. In other words, someone in their family or themselves or their neighbor or their friend, you know, has the illness or has the the challenge. And so they're, they're doing it in honor of or memory of or whatever. And for me, it wasn't quite that way. I, there was no one in my family that had cancer at the time. And, but I just felt an obligation and responsibility to give back. So as soon as I sort of decided I was going to do this for the Jimmy Fund, I went to the Jimmy Fund. I went to the clinic and I saw those kids. And I knew at the time that the battle that I was about to fight by running over five and a half million footsteps across America was in no way as difficult as the battle that these kids are fighting for their own life. And just as a young kid at 23 years old, I just said, why are they sick? And I'm not like, who dealt that hand? And, you know, where's the fairness there? Well, I couldn't answer that question, but I said, well, I'm going to do my part. And that's why I chose the Jimmy Fund. And when I was in the clinic, I saw a sign in the Jimmy Fund clinic on the wall and it said, God made only so many perfect heads. The rest of them have hair on it. You know, and it just made me realize the concept of turning negatives into a positive and that these kids have more courage and guts than I'll ever have. And they're fighting for their own life. And and this is the least I can do kind of attitude. And um, and, you know, when when you when you put yourself into that situation, then the fundraising becomes pretty easy because you just feel that you you want to make a difference. You want to help. And, um, you know, and then the running part of it is personal. Obviously, there's so many benefits from it, the health and fitness benefit, the whole aspect of self-esteem and self-confidence and the social aspects and so many different things. So and that's when, you know, um, the running industry, the second boom occurred is when philanthropy entered the space. And you combine personal goal setting with philanthropy and boom, it took off. And that's why running really is so popular now. Yeah, it's still competitive, but it's all about participation and it's all about a greater purpose, not just, you know, trying to run as fast as you can from the gun to the finish line. So was, did the Boston Marathon have such a big focus on philanthropy and giving back to charities before you became involved? Has that always been part of that? Or is that something that came about as you've been more involved? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say I had much to do with that, with the Boston Marathon, um, sort of deciding to take a percentage of its field and allocate it towards philanthropy. Um, It happened years and years ago, um, I think in the 70s with the American Liver Foundation and then the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. and, and you know, but I was obviously a supporter of that. I've been involved with the race now for 33 years as a director of some sort and uh, have run in the race for the last 48 years. So, 
I've been involved in some way, shape or form with the Boston Marathon for about 75, 80% of the time I've been alive here. Um, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a strong advocate of it. You know, there's, 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 there's some school of thought that, you know, we recognize the fact that the Boston Marathon is about the pursuit of athletic excellence. I mean, we're the ones that have sort of set ourselves aside to be that Super Bowl, World Series, Kentucky Derby, Tour de France of the industry. You have to earn the right, as I said, to be here. And, and that's good because it's, it's, the, it's the Olympics for the average person, if you will. At the same time, we don't want to recognize the fact that it has tremendous potential to give back and to raise a lot of money and to help those who are less fortunate and to save lives. So there's a delicate balance between, you know, how many qualifiers we accept and how many charity numbers we give out. It's actually 80-20. So 80% qualifiers, 20%, you know, um, we support nonprofits. And, and that balance has been maintained over the years. It hasn't changed. Um, but we, last year, the, the charity program raised $39 million for, wow. you know, a couple of hundred charities. So it does a lot of good work. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's here to stay. That's awesome. So you are also working on a big project right now that will also bring funds to many of the same charities that are supported with the Boston Marathon. Can you tell us a little bit about what you have going on right now? Well, you know, obviously this pandemic has sort of uh, impacted everyone on the planet Earth, so it seems. And, you know, what I do for a living and my team what we do for a living is flies right in the face of this pandemic. I mean, we try to get as many people as possible, jam them in a small little space, and they're all sweating and breathing all over each other. And now we're being told, no, 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 don't do that. You can't do that anymore. And so I had 35 events lock and loaded for the year, ready to manage and direct all over the country. And every single one of them have, has gone over the cliff. And so it's it's been a showstopper for us in a, in a sense of putting on you know road races and and charity walks on the road. So you have to you know you don't you know you, you know especially as an endurance athlete you don't give up that easily. So you have to pivot, and um, and that's why this whole virtual world now has uh, emerged and is uh, somewhat the rage only because it's kind of the only alternative to mm-hmm. the thing itself. So, um, you know, when we started seeing a few races going virtual and being somewhat successful, we said, you know, in as much as in, in the world I live in, my little head, you know, I found it difficult years ago when some of these things surfaced that I would, you know, actually pay a fee, run around my neighborhood, <laughs> you know, and then get a medal. I wasn't sure. I, I, it just didn't settle with me at the time. And now it has because what else we got, right? right and so right. I, yeah, I'm thrilled with the virtual world right now and said, I, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. I, I need to get in the game. And a friend of mine had recommended a, a, a guy by the name Brian Lyons, who, who has since unfortunately passed away recently. And he he suggested, hey, you, you ran from method to method. Why don't you do a virtual method to method? I said, ah, think anyone's going to really want to do that? He goes, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to want to do it. So we thought about it, the team, and we put it all together in about three weeks and we launched it on the day that I started my run back in 78. So we started it on June 11th. 
and it you know officially ends, but people can still continue on August 29th when I finish. So that's 80 days worth. So it's the entire summer. So it's basically June, July, and August. And it consists of, you know, basically three components. One is running the full breadth of the country, 3,452 miles, or running almost half of it, you know, 1,200 from the Mississippi and we call it the Eastern States, um, you know, segment. And then, or just run the last state, Massachusetts, the 142 miles. So people have signed up for one of those three and basically signed up as a team up to 20 people. And um, like I said, we started June 11th. And right now, 11 or 12 teams have already finished, have already gotten themselves collectively, cumulatively across America. It took me 80 days. It took them 20. <laughs> but they had 20 people. Right. And and we're allowing teams to have uh, members that that cycle too. So, you know, if you bike 40, 50, 60 miles a day, you can get across much faster. So right. it's been really exciting. And what's happened is, is that the teams have been emailing me regularly saying, you know, we didn't have much this whole year, this summer, and this has kept us engaged and kept us motivated to get out there every day and get our miles in and then communicate with our team members and what you do what you do hey what you do hey we're in indiana now hey we're in nebraska hey we're in ohio and they can follow the course that i ran and click on every single day and see a photo from that day out there on the course it's been really exciting (laughs) excuse me um to to follow so um i'm thrilled with with we have about 1500 people who are doing it um, and like I said, it, it, uh, and people can still register today. They just go to www.medford, M-E-D-F-O-R-D, to the number two, medford.com. And then they'll see everything up there as to how to register, re- register solo, register as a team. You can run, you can walk, you can bike. It's not too late. Um, you know, and then we'll mail out a box at the end with a medal and a buff and, some nice goodies and stuff for participation. When people are registered for this, yeah, are they able to track their own distance? Like see on, on a map where yeah. they are on the map also? Yeah. Yep. So what happens is once they register, then they receive a personal link to their login site. So they click on that link and they can log in their miles. Their team captain gets a link for the team site and can share that with each team member. So the team members can log on to that link and see what everyone on the team has done and doing. And they can follow it on a US map and click on icons as they go and see exactly where their team is on that day um, along the course in, in the country. It's pretty cool. It is fun. So I read that you also have some celebrity runners and celebrity teams. Is there a place yeah. that we can see what they're up to? Are they posting on their own personal social media or how can we see some what those of them are? are? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them are. And, um, you know, again, when you log on to the the main site, um, I believe I, I'm going to check for sure, but I believe you can click on, celebrity team one there's two teams of 20 celebrity team one celebrity team two and you can see where the team is you might not see where every individual on the team is but there are people like you know celebrity runners like meb kofleski who 
you know, won Boston in 2014 and silver medalist in the Olympic Games. You got Bill Rogers. You got Dina Castor. You know, you got a whole bunch of former winners of the Boston Marathon, former winners of the Ironman Triathlon, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, Karen Smyers. You've got some Hollywood movie stars like Sean Astin, who played Rudy in the movie and, and whatnot. Um, you know, so there's a lot of... Um, a lot of people like that that have that are friends of mine, personal friends of mine who said, yeah, we'd like to participate, too. So Celebrity Team One has actually already finished. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying to those who have already finished is, well, OK, you already finished and you still got the rest of the summer. Why don't you turn around and head back? <laughs> <laughs> so they're not done. They're not done. They're just going to continue until the end of August. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, who I didn't know when we set this all up that how quick some of these teams would get theoretically get across the country. You know, if we do this again next year, maybe I'll do it uh, along the circumference of the whole earth or something because (laughs) they've taken, they've taken it pretty seriously and they're getting their miles in and, and they're emailing saying, Hey, I never realized how many miles a week I run. And now I do. And this is a lot of fun. So. I think that people are just looking for anything right now that can help them keep their motivation too. just, to have some sort of a purpose for running because yeah. we're also used to having that race goal in front of us. And all of a sudden you Gone. can set a race goal, but you don't really know that it's going to happen when race day gets here. So I think that people are really hungry for something like this. Yeah. And in terms of philanthropy, instead of just picking one or two or three of our own charities that people would fundraise for, we said, bring on your own. Like so many of our races, if not all of them, benefited some charitable cause or multiple charitable causes. And as a result of all these races sort of being canceled, you know, the charities are losing out too because the fundraising has stopped um, with regard to its association with a race that has been canceled if they're not doing their own virtual. So we've allowed people who otherwise would be running in the race, raising money for a specific charity to say, hey, we're going to raise money for that charity while doing the method to method. So we have like 20 charities that are actively involved uh, in this relay across the country. And, you know, tens of thousands of dollars are being raised. And, you know, this platform is just there for them to use. All they have to do is recruit the runners for a fundraising. and. And that's it. So it's pretty turnkey for a lot of charities. Yeah, I love that because I know that a lot of the charities are affected by just everything that's going on and not having all of the revenue streams because people are losing their jobs. And like you said, races that rely on fundraising or that Mm -hmm. provide a lot of fundraising opportunities aren't even happening. So I think that's a really great great thing that people can get involved with. And you said they can still get involved with it and it's going on through the end of August. So if somebody joined today, they're not going to feel like they've been missing out. No, no. And and again, you can do half the country or you just do the state of mass or just, you know, it all depends on how many, I mean, you could get a team of 20 and still start in Method Oregon and get across the country before the end of August because people are doing it in like 20 days. So you know, there's something there for everyone. And one of the things I like about this too is that you can participate in a team as a team because I think a lot of times somebody goes, oh, well, I can't run 40 miles a day or I can't yeah. even run 40 miles in a week. You know, I'm just yeah. a, 
beginner. And so you've provided an opportunity that somebody at every level, every level participate. Yeah. I mean, there are some people on a team, for example, running two miles a day. And there are some people on that same team that are cycling 50 miles a day. And all of a sudden combined, you know, they're, they're bolting across the country, you know, it's, so yeah, it just depends on the team you put together, how many and, and what they might be doing. And it's not really a race. It's just, it's something to, again, I use the word engage. It's to engage people into something, both from a, a social kind of perspective to engage people in a team effort to individual motivation to feel like, hey, I have to, I have to do my part for the team. So I need to get out there where otherwise I might say, eh, I'm not going to run today. Now I'm like, oh, I have to run today. You know, I, I need to add my miles for the for the team, if you will. You know, so, you know, a lot of a lot of um, incentives to kind of, um, you know, get out there, get out there every day and get get the work work done. I think I even saw somebody using it as a little history lesson or a geography lesson. And I think that's another thing a fam- families or teachers could do, too. You know, if you have your classroom or your family moving across the country and then wherever it is that you land for the day. You, what is there to learn about this part of the yeah. country? What is there, a, what happened here? Point. That's a great point. And they are putting, you know, they're, you know, posting on Facebook. And they said, okay, team, we done, uh, today we did 121 miles and we're in Des Moines, Iowa. And Des Moines is this, that, the other thing. But, but you know, and they start talking <laughs> and showing pictures of Des Moines or whatever. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and this is all, this isn't me doing this for them. It's, them all doing it so it it has gained a life of its own you know once you set it up you tee it up and then you hand it off to all the participants whammo it just kind of all kinds of fun things are going on with it yeah so i want to shift a little bit i don't think that telling talking to you and telling your story is complete without talking about a major event that happened in your life was it end of 2018 yeah. You had some heart issues and then mm-hmm. you still went on to run the Boston Marathon six mm-hmm. months later. And I, and I yeah. love talking about this type of topic because, yes, you've always been an athletic and fit person, but you still had a comeback. And so I think that's mm-hmm. really important for people to to see. Would you tell us a little bit about what the situation with your heart was and how you even realized that you had something going on? Yeah, sure. Um so, you know, again, as a endurance runner, uh, triathlete, athlete, you know, you might have the um, false impression <laughs> that you're invincible and that there's no kryptonite in your life, you know, that nothing's going to get you down. And I'll be honest with you, I was naive myself in thinking that way over, over the life, my lifespan. And then a few years ago, I was out running and I could feel this difficulty in my chest, this discomfort feeling of, you know, struggling to really get a lot of oxygen in while I was running. And I'm like, this is not right. I knew my own body. So I went to Mass General Hospital and had all these battery of tests done, echocardiograms and stress tests and EKGs. And, you know, all the physicians said kind of the same thing. We can't find anything. There's nothing wrong with you. I said, yes, there is. I can't breathe when I'm running. Something's wrong. And I said, you got to give me the big boy tests. You know, you got to look under the hood, guys. 
And so they gave me a, a CAT scan and an angiogram and um, the doctor comes in and he looks at the monitor and he goes, there, 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 and there. And I said, there, what? He says, you have severe coronary artery disease. I'm like, what? Wow. He said, you have severe coronary artery. I said, I've run 150,000 miles. I've run across the country a couple of times. I've done this, that, and the other. How can that be? He goes, I don't know, but you have it. It's right there. I said, is it genetics? And he says, yeah, I'm sure it's partly genetics. I said, is it self-inflicted? He says, probably. I said, I, I probably did this to, to myself because maybe as an athlete going out for a 20 mile run and come home and have a little ice cream or a little this or a little that, you know, I figured if the furnace is hot enough, it'll burn. And, you know, and over the years, it just kind of all adds up. Everything from, you know, lack of sleep to stress to maybe not the greatest diet in the world. And boom, there's just an explosion at some point in time. And here I am. And I said to him, I remember I turned to him and I said, I have one thing to tell you. He said, what? I says, zip it up. I said, what do you mean zip it up? I said, don't tell anyone. He goes, why? I says, because I'm embarrassed. I said, I'm supposed to be this, you know, this guy who's supposed to be fit. And I don't want anyone to know this. And then it kind of leaked out and people heard that I had this illness and they're like, wow, it can happen to him. It can happen to me. And I have similar discomfort. I better go get checked. And I go get checked. And I walk out of the hospital with three stents and people write to me and say, hey, you saved my life. I said, I didn't save your life. You save your own. But I, I, get, I get you. So I started thinking, boy, it's pretty selfish of me to keep this in and not basically explain the story to people because I could help save lives, you know? And so then I turned to the doctor and I said, I have a question to ask you. And he said, what? I said, is this reversible? He said, it depends. I said, depends on what? He said, depends on the person. I said, well, you're looking at him <laughs> over here. He says, well, with you, he says, with your discipline, I think you can have an impact on your own illness. And I said, well, sign me up. So I changed everything. And four or five months later, you know, I had another angiogram done and um, because I wanted to go back and do the Ironman for the first time in 25 years. And my doctor said, you have to have another angiogram. And I did. And I re reversed my own severe coronary artery disease by over 30%, 40%. And so I went back to Hawaii, did the Ironman, and that was 2014. And then 2015, 16 came along and I was doing okay. And 2017 came and I started training really hard for this thing called the World Marathon Challenge, which is running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. I committed to doing that, so I went and did that. Felt okay doing it and whatnot, but then I get home from that in February, and in March, I could feel that discomfort feeling again. I go, wait a minute, what the heck's going on? I thought I beat this. And then I went and had another angiogram. They said, you have 90% blockage in your main artery. I'm like, wow, how we, I thought I changed, I thought I fixed this. Nope, and I, the doctor said, you have three options. I said, yeah, he says, well, I, you know, you can do nothing, but you have to live a sedentary life. I said, cross that one off. And and then uh, we could stent it, but it's really close to your heart and it's a little risky. I said, I'm taking no risk with my heart. He says, oh, we can do an open heart surgery. I said, nah, I don't like that one either. Cross that off. Wow. Says, You've run out of options. <laughs> I said, well, I got one question for you. He said, what? I said, well, it's, it's this little jogathon in April you know, in Boston that I kind of shuffled through a few times. You know, if I have this surgery, it's six months from now, if I have this surgery, what do you think? He gave me the best possible answer. He didn't say, yes, I think you can do it. And no, you can't. He said, I'd be 
extremely disappointed if you couldn't. And it gave me that, that four letter word that we all need in our lives sometime. And that's hope, you know, gave me the hope that, okay, maybe I can have the surgery done and still keep my little streak of 47, 48 Boston marathons intact. And so it was a delicate balance. You know, I had the surgery, open heart, triple bypass surgery, and then I had to recover, but also train, but not train so much that it would be counterproductive to my recovery, but I had to train enough to get myself in shape to run a marathon in six months. And, and there's no books out there on how to do that. And I had never been through this before. So, you know, but I was able to eventually get out there and, and run it. Um, and I run it at night because I direct the race during the day and I go back out after everyone's done and, and run it, but you know, at night with a few other friends and I've done it that way for 33 years. Um, and I was able to finish it. So it was the most memorable, meaningful marathon. And, you know, um, you know, I learned the lesson that just because you're fit doesn't mean you're healthy. And I always, I always thought it did. So now it's all about creating an awareness of that. And, um, you know, Massachusetts has a public safety campaign. It says, if you see something, say something. My new campaign is if you feel something, say something that we have to advocate for ourselves and we have to do something about it or, you know, um, you know, we're not invincible. I think that is so remarkable that you knew your body well enough that when the right. doctors were saying, Oh, everything's cool. You passed this test. You're like, no, something's wrong. I think that that is fantastic advice for everybody just right there at the beginning of the story, because yeah. sometimes you just know. Yeah, I had literally, I won't name them, but seven different friends of mine who were Olympic cal Olympic trial caliber, you know, 220 marathoners who went out for a run one day and never came home. Um, you know, and I don't know whether, you know, they were in denial. I don't know whether they had symptoms that they just ignored. I don't know if it just hit them all of a sudden, but these were you know, national world-class athletes who had some level of heart illness and God forbid if they just did, ignored it and denied it because they, I didn't. And now I have a second chance. Amazing. Yeah. I love that story. So I end every podcast by asking the person I'm interviewing, power up your performance is all about learning how to think, feel, perform and live like a champion you have spent your lifetime surrounded by champions. What are three traits that you believe all champions possess? Um, well, I think one is, um, you know, I, I, I feel that this industry of ours uh, has morphed into um, the concept of building self-confidence. Um, when people used to ask me, what do I do for a living? I used to mumble, <laughs> race director. They're like, yeah, what? A race director. And they're like, what do they do? Chalk mark in the road and yell go. And now when people ask me, what do I do for a living? I say, I help raise the level of self-esteem and self-confidence of tens of thousands of people in America. And that's what this does. And so I just think that the concept of any champion is, is confidence in oneself. And you gain confidence by doing the work. Right. So confidence is certainly one. Um, giving back um, for me is huge. 
Um, but it's kind of like a trick <laughs> because when you, in my world, when I give, I actually receive a lot more in return. So I'm not saying it's selfish to give, but there is a benefit that I feel good about myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so that's an important kind of ingredient in, in all of this um, is, is given back. So, so that whole aspect of self-confidence and that whole aspect of, um, you know, of, um, of giving back. And then I suppose the last one is um, I have a motto in my life and the motto is um, when, when I run my age on my birthday, I remember a little kid asked me, uh, excuse me, um, what are you going to do when you turn 90? And I looked at the kid and I said, you know, I don't know. First of all, I want to be breathing uh, mm -hmm. and, and then get out of bed. And then I'm not, I'm not really sure, you know, um, but I'll tell you one thing. What? I says, it's my game. So it's my rules. So it's, it's my life. I can do with it as I see fit. Right. And so that's what I tell everyone. It's your life, you know, and the, the worst thing you could ever do is to allow anyone else to tell you how to live it. You know, those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt those who are doing it. Um, so I think champions possess those kinds of innate qualities or, or they, they learn them along the way. So the whole idea of setting goals and not limits is important in my life. Love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to us today and for sharing sure. all of us. And I wish you so much luck with the Medford to Medford race. I hope that you help those charities get a whole lot of money and help some thank people you. stay fit and focused yeah. in this time. Not too late to join. We're out there. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run. And you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe as a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week, and I will catch you next Tuesday.